Abba Father, we come to you and we praise you and we're so excited about what you're doing here in this land. And Father, we just praise, praise you for all of the testimonies and for the, you know, the people we've met here so far. And um, just we just thank you for bringing this together and allowing the host to, to put it together and to do so with, with just an amazing spirit among them. And um, with it, it came together really well, at least from my end, it seemed like it came to well, together well, Father. And so we just praise you for that. And so, Father, as we get into this, this message, and, and that you would just use it to bless people and give them hope, uh, because you've made a promise to your people, and we know you're going to keep it. So uh, we just ask your blessing on all of this, and we ask it in the name of Yeshua. Amen. All right. So, the greater Exodus, this is what you came for. <laughs> all right. Um, how many of you have not seen this on my channel, have not seen this? Lots of people. Oh, good. That's awesome. Great. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get started on the last day's journey. Okay, that's part one. And tomorrow, we're going to try... How much time do I have tomorrow? Do I have two sessions tomorrow or just one? Okay. So I should be able to get through uh, part two and three tomorrow. And if I have time, we will go into the uh, evidence of the last days, seven reasons why um, we are in the last days. And so we'll try to get through all of that. But tomorrow, it'll be the Greater Exodus, Part 2, the 144,000. Who are the 144,000? So be sure to come back for that. I'm not saying I know who the 144,000 are. I'm just giving you my opinion of who the 144,000 are based on the scripture I'm going to show you, okay? And it's probably not a theory you've been given before. Uh, and then the Joel 2 army. We'll talk about the Joel 2 army. What is that in Scripture? Uh, Antoinette did uh, mention one of the verses there today. Actually, and it was a great verse, um, excellent verse. We'll probably talk about that again tomorrow. Um, but it's the who is the Joel 2 army. And, and we're going to talk about that being related to the book of Numbers and Balaam and Balak. You're not going to want to miss it. It's great. So um, fantastic. Let's go ahead and get started. So, The Greater Exodus, The Last Day's Journey, Part 1. This is my family again. This is how I start off all my presentations. An American Homestead, new to Torah. You can see all of my videos. Everything's for free. Um, you know, it's all at either new to Torah or an American Homestead. Uh, there's some things we use for an American Homestead because we make our living that way. Um, but you can go over to Patreon and see some uh, videos there. It's like a dollar a month. Uh, and, you know, they take credit cards or whatever. But all my new to Torah stuff is always free, Okay. Um, it's always there for anybody to download even if you have special browsers that can download the videos, no problem. Download them all and share them with your friends or whatever. Um, again, I'm not a teacher, I'm a student. You've heard that before. Uh, I'm just doing the best I can to share the knowledge that I have, I have learned. And, you know, when I come to these conferences, I talk to people and I learn a whole heck of a lot from you guys. Because you guys have been chewing on things as well and you're sharing with me and I take that stuff back home, believe it or not, and I start studying the things you guys have told me. And that helps to me to share it with other people. So and I've already learned a whole bunch of stuff from some people that, this week and uh, stuff, some of the stuff you guys are telling me that I'm going to go back home and I'm going to chew on. And uh, it'll help me in my research and studies and my being able to share it with others. Um, I'm not new to Torah. Uh, I'm, I'm new to Torah. We're all new to Torah. No one's ever old to Torah. Um, Moses might qualify for that. And especially on this topic, I reserve the right to be wrong about everything that you're about to see. I'm just giving you my opinion, okay? This is what I see in Scripture, and I'm going to give my Scripture to back it up, okay? All right, so there has been, I mean, who has not heard of the greater exodus? You've never heard of the greater exodus? Never heard of it? Wow, a couple people. Okay, a few people. Well, who's heard of it? Who did you, all right, let's go. Who has never heard of the rapture? Okay, no hands. <laughs> Who has never heard of the rapture? You all, you've all heard of the rapture, right? Okay, sure. Right. Well, it's a difference, you know, because when I came out of Christianity, it was all about the rapture, rapture, rapture. What's wrong? Is it too loud? Turning it up a notch. Everyone's heard of the rapture, 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 but no one's ever heard of the greater exodus. Where is this greater exodus? I don't see this. In, where, where is that in the Bible? Well, there's a whole lot more of verses that talk about the greater exodus than the rapture. We're going to go through a lot of them today. So let's start off in the book of Daniel. It's Daniel chapter 12. And um, the verse we're going to start with is Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. It says, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And that, that means 
ever. Okay? And at that same time, at the time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, and some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Uh, verse 3, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But you, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end, it says. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. And this is a big, big way of how I start off this idea of the greater exodus. What you see there is the word shoot in the Hebrew, okay? It means to travel, to, to move to and fro, to, you know, distance, great distances away. And you see it in a number of verses. Here's a couple of them. Uh, 2 Chronicles 16.9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Okay, so the earth is a big place. Whether you believe it's round or flat, doesn't matter. It's a big place, right? It took me 25 hours to get here, you know, from where I live. It's a big place. There's a lot of space. And well, his eyes run to and fro over the whole earth. So that's a large distance, okay? His eyes run over the whole earth, it says. The word Hebrew word is shoot. And then, next verse, Amos 8.12, And they that wander from sea to sea and from the north even to the west, they shall run to and fro, Hebrew word shoot, to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. Meaning they're traveling over the whole earth looking for the word of the Lord. And they can't find it. Shoot to and fro. For who has despised the day of small things? For they that rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord. Again, the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. Okay? Shoot. The Hebrew word shoot. So it's pretty obvious, should be pretty obvious to you that this whole to and fro that Daniel is talking about is talking about a large span of space. The Hebrew word shoot. He says, in the last days, in the time of the end, people will run to and fro. He doesn't say the eyes of the Lord this time. He says, people, us. Now, what did I just get done doing? I just came from Arkansas, United States, to South Africa in 25 hours. Okay, 100 years ago, no one could have done that. In the entire history of man, no one could have ever done that. We can do it today, though, can't we? Yeah, we can do it all the time. People do it all the time. You can leave any airport in the United States where I live and within 24 hours be in some of the most remote parts of China located on the other side of the planet. I had a few hours of layover in each airport. But to get to China, I could be in some of the most remote parts. That's never been heard of before in the history of mankind. That's amazing. And Daniel says, in the time of the end, people will run to and fro, large distances. That's only been today. Have you ever ridden on an airplane, you look out the window? I mean, who's had a window seat before, right? You people who've had a window seat on an airplane, you have seen more than what, I mean, you have seen something that 99.9999% of all of humanity that has ever lived on planet Earth has never seen before. You're looking at the earth below at 35,000 feet. Do you realize how special you are? How blessed you are to see something like that? You know, when airline travel first came out, they thought it was a fraud. Scientific American, the New York Times, when the Wright brothers and some other people were publishing and telling people that, hey, we have achieved flight. They didn't have social media today. They didn't have it on Facebook. They didn't know about it. All they knew is that some reporter at the New York Times heard that somebody in, in Ohio was flying a plane. <sighs> they did not. These guys are frauds, and they said they're frauds. But today, I think everyone in this building has been on a plane, right? Almost. It's, it's common. Everyone does it. It's amazing. 99.99% of humanity has never seen that before. But you, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end, it says. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. What is that? Knowledge shall be increased. You ever, I don't know if you guys ever heard of this book. It's called The 5,000-Year Leap. You probably wouldn't have because it's really focused towards American politics and the beginnings of our country, 
in, in, in the United States. And the whole, perp- the whole premise of the book is that in the last 5,000 years, humanity you know, has basically stayed the same. Okay, It's just in the last 100 years, we have taken the 5,000-year leap, meaning we have accomplished more in the last 100 years than the last 5,000 years of humanity combined. Does that make sense? We've developed airline travel, we've developed automobile travel, all kinds of technological advances. I have this screen and it's all of a sudden propelled up there. I mean, you know, 100, 200 years ago, they would have burned you at the stake for witchcraft if you described something like this. <laughs> it's amazing. You mean I can have this little piece of plastic or whatever and I can talk to somebody 100 miles away on, this, on their piece of plastic? What? You're a witch because they don't understand what it is you're talking about. We have accomplished so much. Humanity has accomplished so much in the last 100 years. And so this book was written, it's called The 5,000-Year Leap, and it describes, it talks about some of this. The book was actually written by a Mormon apologist, and this guy believed heavily in Mormon eschatology. He correctly, however, sees that the last 100 years is a leap in knowledge, but misses the link between what the Bible says about an increase in knowledge in the last days. He misses what Daniel says. Daniel says, in the last days, the time of the end, people will run to and fro and knowledge will increase. Yes, there has been an increase in Torah, really, in the last 20 or 30 years. Some people will tell you, you know what, Zach? I think that verse refers to Torah, an increase in knowledge in Torah. And I think that's true, absolutely true. But it's also an increase in everything else. You know, the Library of Congress, you know, in in our country is one of the biggest resources of information on the planet now. And they keep adding things more and more. But things are incalculable about how much information is actually out there. In the last five years especially, there has been an increase in knowledge, you know, in Torah, but there's been an increase in knowledge worldwide on everything else. All knowledge, all knowledge has increased. As of 2013, the Internet is estimated to have reached four zettabytes. That was 2013. It's 2017 now. They can't even calculate how much information is out there today. It's incalculable because it's growing so fast. That's how fast fast knowledge has increased. It's actually pretty scary. How much data, nobody really knows, because the volume is growing so fast. Some say about 90% of all the data in the world today has been created. Now, I I wrote this about a year ago now. So, and that was in the past few years, according to the BBC. And what they're saying is, we don't know. There's no one who will ever know how much data there is in the world anymore because it's growing so fast. You can go on YouTube. How many have been on YouTube? (laughs) Okay, you don't have to raise your hands. I know you've been there. Um, You can fix a vehicle. You want to learn how to fix a headlight on your vehicle. You want to learn how to fix an engine. You just go to YouTube. You want to learn how simple, you know, learn simple and advanced medical procedures. You can go on YouTube. I have seen people do tutorials on brain surgery on YouTube. Not that I suggest you learn brain surgery on YouTube, but I'm just saying, if you really wanted to, you could learn brain surgery on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to learn how to learn a la- you want to learn a language, you can go on YouTube, and there's plenty of channels that teach foreign languages. You want to learn how to build a house, you can go on YouTube and learn how to build a house. You want to go, to- you want to learn any aspect of her- of world history from any perspective, you can go on YouTube or the internet and learn it. Okay, you can go, and that's just YouTube, but you can learn any aspect of mathematics and and science just going on the internet, online. Folks, knowledge has increased. There's no way that that verse can be referring to any other time but right now, which is, again, scary. Everything you want to know today literally is at your fingertips. Me and my wife are even discussing, you know, why do we need to send our kids to college? Because anything my kid will learn at college, I can find for free online today. Literally anything. Why? Why go into debt for that? Most people go, I'm in debt right now. It's the only debt I have is college debt. So it's pretty certain we're living in the last days. Okay, so if that's true, and I believe it is, I, I hopefully you believe it is, what's next? What next? And I heard this is Daniel chapter 12, verse 7, a very interesting verse. It says, and I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, and when held up his right hand, his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that lives forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and a half. Now, full stop. This is where Christianity stops reading in this verse. Because they're like, oh, yeah, we want to know when the time of the end and how long the tribulation is going to be. And they stop right there and say, well, it's for a time, time, and a half. And then they try to do all kinds of mathematical problems and equations to figure out, based on the rest of Scripture, on how long that's going to be and when it's going to start. You know what I'm saying? You've seen this stuff, right? 
trying to figure out when the last days are going to happen and how long it's going to be. What they don't read is the continuing of the verse. Check that out. It says, when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. What he's quoting there are what actually Paul is quoting. Paul is quoting this verse in Romans chapter 11, verse 25. You know, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, that's the elect. That's the holy people. The people who are not holy, who are scattered because of their unholiness, who will be made once holy again and brought back. When he finishes to scatter, he accomplishes to scatter the power of the holy people. So this was all the intro, okay? That's where we're at. Now we're going to go ahead and get started on the greater exodus. So the intro is, hey, listen, there's no doubt. We're in the last days, okay? All right, Genesis 48, 19. It says, and his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall be a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. Who is this? Jacob, the blessings, right? Pushes his hands. And Joshua, uh, Joseph says, no, no, dad, no, you got it all wrong. You know, you're switching the hands wrong. This is the older one. He says, I know, I know. But truly his brother will be greater than he. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. So he gives him a double portion. Joseph gives him the double portion. And then, you know, we talked about this earlier today. Judah, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. He gets the kingship blessing. It's him as he's in control of the family line from here on out until Shiloh comes. Shiloh, again, means rest or tranquility. Judah. So there's two tribes, two houses. I know some people don't agree with two houses, but I'm going to make you a believer today. <laughs> two tribes, two houses. You have Judah, the southern kingdom. You have a blessing of the firstborn. He has the kingship blessing. And he's going to rule over the other tribes. Okay, He's in charge. Um, Judah is the tribe that must always retain its identity if it's to give the law. It says, a lawgiver shall not depart from between his feet. The scepter shall not depart, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. Well, if he's going to be the lawgiver... That means he has to remember who he is. He can't forget because he has the law, right? So you got him. He has to be maintained. The father is. He has the divine protection of the father and his descendants. And he's also the largest tribe that comes out of Israel. Okay, 74,600 is the number. Ephraim, Joseph, the northern kingdom. Receive the double portion, okay, inheritance that normally goes to Judah, who would be the one receiving the kingship blessing or the firstborn blessing. He's going to be the one that's great among the nations, the Gentiles, and was the second largest tribe when they came out of Egypt, uh, the largest tribe of the northern kingdom. So total of 72,700 when you add Ephraim and Manasseh together because that was the house of Joseph, okay? Uh, Joseph and Israel, it was 72,700, so second largest. The nation of Israel is about to enter the land, and a series of warnings are given by Moses to the people. And so we have Deuteronomy 4, 23, 27, uh, Deuteronomy 28, 58, 64, and Deuteronomy 30, verse 1 through 3. And these basically are, here's the deal. I know you're getting ready to go into the land. Moses is just telling them you're getting ready to cross the Jordan. But watch out, because once you get in there, if you disobey, and you're going to, you're going to be cast out of the land. Okay, and so these are warnings. Deuteronomy 28 especially encompasses a lot of those warnings and even gives details of the punishment you're going to receive if you disobey my commandments. And then Deuteronomy 30, verse 1 through 3, we'll get to that a little bit later, but it's talking about, hey, listen, it gives it a little more detail that one day you're going to be cast out, but I'll bring you back. I'll bring you back. I hope some of you guys are familiar with those verses, but we'll talk about them later. So the time of Solomon comes. Solomon's here, and then the nation becomes divided. You have the house of Israel in the north, and you have the house of Judah in the south. And Solomon's warning is 2 Chronicles 7, 19 through 20, and it says this, But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and shall go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck them up by the roots of all thy land, which I have given you, and this house, which I have sanctified for my name, and I will cast out of my sight, and I will make it to be a proverb and a byword among the nations. So here's what happens. Solomon builds this magnificent temple. It's beautiful. It's all white granite. I mean, it's just gorgeous. He says, look, God, look what I made for you. And God says, that's not what I commanded. 
I commanded a tent. You know, I was supposed to have a tent, a tabernacle. I mean, this is nice and all. And you know what? I'll dwell in it. But the second you forget the commandments and you disobey me, I'm out of here. This house has no reflection over me personally. Because really, your best works are filthy rags. And we know that, right? So, so it was for Solomon. Solomon builds this magnificent temple, the finest timbers and the finest rock he could find, granite, and it wasn't good enough for God. That's not what he asked for. He says, I'll stay here, but when I, when, if you disobey me, I'm out. I'm gone. The nation was torn in two, as described in 1 Kings chapter 11 by Ahiah the prophet. You have ten tribes that go to Jeroboam, and you have one tribe that goes to Rehoboam, Solomon's sons. Okay? Wait a minute. Ten plus one, that equals twelve. That doesn't work. So where did the other one go? At first glance, you may wonder why Ahiah, the prophet, can't do basic math. Well, he rips the garment of Solomon into 12 pieces and tells Jeroboam to take 10 pieces, and one piece will remain with Solomon's son Rehoboam. Plus, 10 plus 1 doesn't equal 12. So what happened to the last piece? The answer is actually quite simple. Rehoboam was the tribe of Judah, uh, and he retained that tribe and was given one more, which turns out to be the tribe of Benjamin. And this is detailed in 1 Kings 12, 21 uh, verse 2. And then Chronicles chapter 11, verse 12. Even then, when the split occurs, some people choose sides and moved. Even within the territory of Judah, there were members of all the tribes. So they were kind of dispersed amongst themselves. So, and, and if you're wondering, if I'm going through some of these verses too fast for you, all of this stuff is on my website. You can go download it and download the PowerPoint and, you know, study it from there. But really, this is just a side note. This really isn't that important when it comes to the greater Exodus, but I need to make mention of it. So it seems complicated, right? It's about to get very simple. Stick with me. From here on out, God's people go through a number of kings. Some are good, some were bad, okay? And finally, God allows his people to be, to be punished and conquered. First, you have Babylon that comes down, and you are, then you have Assyria, and they basically get dispersed, and out into the nations they go, and eventually Judah comes back. This all takes place, or is prophesied, by Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. These are the, you know, some of the major prophets. And they go into detail about the punishment that's about to come on Israel and Judah. These major prophets, and minor ones too, continue to prophesy against the people, people of Israel, but they also offer hope. Okay, you know, You've disobeyed, and here's going to be your punishment. But they also offer hope. The greater exodus is about the hope of God's people. So when I was reading through Jeremiah and Isaiah, when I didn't understand any of this, I would read through, and you'd read a couple chapters of doom and gloom, and then you'd read a couple chapters of hope. It's amazing. And then you read a couple chapters of doom and gloom, and you read a couple chapters of hope. And it's doom and gloom and hope and doom and gloom and hope all the way through the books. What's up with that? It's about the greater exodus. Those chapters of hope or how he's going to restore his people. It's not going to happen in their lifetime. I'm going to scatter you amongst the nations. You're going to be slaves. You're going to eat your own children even. But one day, I'm going to bring you back. One day, I'm going to restore you to your former greatness. Where does the term greater exodus come from? Well, it's when you read those, like in Jeremiah, for example, the chapters of doom and gloom and the hope, you come across this in Jeremiah 16. Verse 12 through 13. This is where the greater exodus comes from. And ye have done worse than your fathers. For behold, you walk with everyone after your own imagination of his evil heart, that they may not hearken unto me. Therefore, I will cast you out of this land into a land that you know not. Neither ye nor your fathers there ye shall serve other gods day and night, where I will not show you your favor. Therefore, here's where it is, folks. Therefore, behold, the days come, says the Lord, that it shall no more be said that the Lord lives that brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But the Lord lives that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands where I have driven them. And I will bring them again into their own land and I give that I give unto their fathers. Okay, so he's saying, you're going to disobey so bad and I'm going to scatter you into the, all the nations but when I bring you back, it's going to be such a huge event, they won't even talk about the first exodus anymore. It's going to be that big. 
Well, the first exodus was a pretty big exodus. So when this one happens, that's where that term comes from, a greater exodus, because he says, no more shall it be said the Lord lives that brought the children out of Israel out of the land of Egypt. No, the Lord lives, which brings up the children of Israel out of all the lands I scattered you, because it's going to be that big a deal. Moses and the Ten Commandments. I mean, you guys know Charlton Heston? No? The movie? You ever watched the movie? Yeah, yeah, a couple of you guys. Yeah, that, that was a big thing growing up. We watched that every, every year. You know, Charlton Heston. You know, the Ten Commandments. Out of Egypt. No, they're going to make movies about this. Also, so you have Jeremiah 16, okay, and then you have Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23, starting at verse 5 and 6. It says, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. If you watch my recent videos, you know that's the Netzar, okay, a righteous branch. And a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is a name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. So, I mean, it's pretty clear who's coming to get us, right? Next verse, Jeremiah 23, 7 and 8. Therefore, behold, again, same verse. The days come, says the Lord, that they shall no more say the Lord lives which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but the Lord lives which brought up and led, which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country and from all the countries where I have driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. So you have two verses right there in Jeremiah that say specifically this is going to be a big event. They're not going to talk about the old one anymore. They're going to talk about this one, the greater exodus. Therefore, the term greater exodus. Make sense? Got it? Sound good? Now, there's lots of other verses besides these two, okay? But these are the ones that people go to the most. We'll show you some other ones. Many are confused, okay? This hasn't happened yet. Just to let you know. There's people who are like, well, isn't this happening yet? This is not referring to the modern state of Israel. There are some people who say, yeah, the greater exodus happened. You know, it, you know it was when 1948 became a state and all the Jews moving back, and they're still moving back from all kinds of places. And they're moving back to Israel. No, that's not yet. And I'm going to prove it to you right now. So you have Jeremiah 23, 7 and 8, where it talks about, they shall no more say the Lord lives which brought up the children of the land of Israel. Um, they're going to talk about the people the Lord lives which brought up and led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country. The thing that's missing is this right here, obedience. Because we don't have that in the land right now. You know, there's a lot of people in America who are very pro-Israel, and I am very pro-Israel myself. I love Israel. Judah is my brother, and my brother now dwells in the land. I believe the house of Judah is back in the land. But they're having a little bit of issue with obedience. Okay. Deuteronomy 30, verse 1. Remember I told you we would come back to this verse. And it shall come to pass when all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and the curse which I have set before thee, and you shall call them to mind among all the nations where I have driven you, where the Lord thy God has driven you, and shall return unto the Lord thy God and shall obey. So when he comes, when he comes back, you know, we're scattered out to all the nations, and we come back, we're going to obey. Right? Obey. Hear and obey. That was what got us in trouble in the first place. We didn't obey. All right, check this out. And then verse 3, Then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee and will return and gather thee from all the nations where the Lord thy God has scattered thee. Are the people of Israel today being obedient? No, they're not. Folks, today Israel is one of the largest, has one of the largest gay pie parades in all of the world. In Tel Aviv every year. Yeah, it's it's huge. It's probably the second largest, based uh, compared to the United States. Every year has one of the world's largest gay pride parades. Every year, over fifty thousand abortions are paid for by the state of Israel, government funded. Fifty thousand babies aborted by Israel. They're killing their own kids. You know, people don't see this. They don't know this stuff that's happening. All they see is when they see Israel in the news are these rabbis at the Western Wall going, you know, oh, these people are great. No, you don't see the rest of Israel. They have, they have restaurants in Israel that serve shellfish, that serve pork, and they do it specifically, specifically to anger the Orthodox that are living in the land. They do it on purpose to anger the people. And these are, not, these are not Arabs who are doing this. These are Jews who are doing this. 
You know, they're secular Jews who are doing this within the land. They're not being obedient. And the, the ones who are being obedient are not, are allowing this to happen, meaning the government. You know, we people, I mean, whether they're obedient or not, they're politicians. I mean, I mean, is a politician ever obedient? But it's just, they're allowing it to happen. It's in their land. They came back and they said, this is from God. Well, hear and obey. You're not allowing it to be in your land. And shall return unto the Lord thy God and shall obey. It's not happening. Let's take a look at another verse. Jeremiah 32, verse 37. Behold, I will gather them out of all the countries where I have driven them in, the, in them in my anger and in my fury and in great wrath, and I will bring them again unto this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. So the father gets very angry with his kids. He says, I'm going to send you out into every single part of the earth in my wrath and in my fury, but I'm going to bring you back, and I'm going to cause you to dwell in safety. Are the people of Israel today dwelling in safety? No, there's all kinds of wars. There's rumors of wars over there. You got bombings. You got rockets coming up and down. No, they're they're having issues with safety. And it says on the next verse, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Well, if they're aborting their babies and having homosexual parades, then they're not worshiping God. It's that simple. They're having an issue with some of these. Next verse, and I will give them one heart and one way, and they may fear me forever. So the people of Israel have one heart. You go over there and they're segmented so drastically. All the sects of Judaism, there's different, and they, they all war with each other. I just saw a video the other day where they, the people, the Orthodox, the ultra-Orthodox were burning stars of David, you know, in a, in a town square. Now, whether you think the star of David has pagan roots or not, I'm not going to get into that debate. But obviously they're having that debate and they're not agreeing with one another. They're not of one heart, Right. They're supposed to be of one heart, but we don't see that today. There's people out there who will tell you that the greater exodus was Jews coming back to the land. And I'm saying, no way. Absolutely not. It hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen. This is our hope. And I know who's going to help it happen. It's our Messiah. He's going to come back and he's going he's to be the salvation for his people. Are the people dwelling safely? No. Are they of one heart? No. Do they fear? No. No. And I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to return, and I will build them as at the first. Jeremiah 33, verse 7. Verse 8, and I will, I will cleanse them from all their iniquity. All their iniquity. See, when you come back, there's going to be a cleansing process. There's going to be a washing that takes place. See, that was the whole point of the wilderness in the first time. You know, I'm going to take you out to the wilderness, and we're going to get all this Egypt out of you. We're going to get all these idols to go away. We're going to get all these traditions and practices that you've been doing that are related to pagan idolatry and pagan worship to go away. we got a lot of cleaning to do. You know, we're getting ready to go into the season of Christmas, you know, and, man, it's all about pagan idolatry. And see, when I was living off-grid, and, and I live out in the middle of nowhere, see, in the northern hemisphere, I see the sun setting in the south farther and further in the south every winter. And then come December 21st, it's like a, a light bulb goes on where that sun begins to rise up a little more each day. The pagan peoples worship that. And they worship those evergreen trees because they stay green all year round. You know, and it was a symbol of fertility, of life. You know, when it comes to life, we have something we already have, we need to worship. It's God. He brings life through obedience, blessings and curses. And so... Trees don't bring life, not bring, doesn't bring me life, but the pagan peoples use that as a symbol of fertility. Same with eggs and the bunny rabbits and the Easter stuff we do you know, in the United States. I don't know if you guys do that here or not. But it, it's, it's wrong. You know? and, and some people find that offensive when you tell them it's wrong. But you know, some people need a good swift kick in the butt. I did. Someone told me what I was doing was wrong. I said, nah, yeah, let me see you out there. Oh my gosh. Yeah, man. You know, and I figured it out. You know, those who have the eyes to see and ears to hear. They have transgressed me. They're going to be cleansed. We have a lot of cleaning to do. So the conclusion, this hasn't happened yet. So now what? So what is the significance of 1948? I truly believe that was significant. I believe Judah coming back in the land was very significant. <clears throat> I believe the Father is establishing Judah before the whole world as the lawgiver. 
because that is Judah over there. And if you don't like it, I mean, that's fine. But I mean, it, they, they have some problems, but they're still holding the Torah. They did a good job of guarding the Torah, too good of a job, meaning they built their own laws around it too much. But they guarded the Torah and they preserved it. They fulfilled the prophecy given by their father, Jacob. The scepter will not depart, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. And it hasn't happened. They kept it. It's good. The scepter has not been departed from the son and the firstborn blessing. They still have it. So then you go to the prodigal son. And so this was a turning point, a huge turning point for me. When I learned about the prodigal son and the older son who was angry with the younger son who comes back and is welcomed by the father, the younger son goes out into the world being disobedient, and he wakes up where? Among the pigs. He sees the swine. He's like, you know, the servants in my father's house have a better time at life than I do. Here I am eating with the pigs. If I just go back, I would, I would just be a servant in my father's house if I could be so lucky. And so he goes back, and the father forgives him and rejoices at his, his, coming, at his coming back. That's the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom went out into the world, committed adultery, committed all kinds of act, heinous acts, and guess what? I don't know about you guys, but where I'm from, we're all finding ourselves amongst the pigs. Now, even my, the, the state uh, sports team is a pig where I live. <laughs> We've all found ourselves amongst the pigs. And we're like, oh, if I could just be back in the father's house where my older brother is right now in the land, I want to go home. So do you think maybe the father brought him home before the awakening would start happening? The older brother's there. He's not doing things perfect. The father's not happy with him all the time, but he kept the Torah. He's guarded it. And so now we're reading it. We're figuring things out. We figured out where we've disobeyed. We're found out. We're amongst the pigs. I want to go back home to my older brother. The older brother's not really happy with us. What are you, what are you coming back here for? You're a Gentile. Go back out amongst your nations. No, I'm not a Gentile. I'm Ephraim. I'm back. I'm, put, I'm, I'm where the Father sent me amongst the nations because of my disobedience. I want to come home. Yeah, Luke 15, 11. He says, he answered, and he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gave me a kid that I may make merry with my friends. And so he's upset at the father. He's like, why are you bringing him back? You know, the father's like, he just wants his son back. We're going to get to some other verses on this too here in a minute. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he, pleasant? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him. You know, when I first learned about the prodigal son in, in my church, in my Christian church, it was this wayward child who goes out, you know, and eventually he figures it out and comes back home and his father forgives him. And that's how we should forgive our children when they go wayward. But that's not, I mean, that's a nice story, but the real answer is here, no, this is a prophecy about it coming true. Messiah said, I am not come before the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So we're going to come home one day, and he's giving, telling his people, hey, you know, when we come home, it's not going to be pretty. Judah's not going to be happy with us. He's not going to believe that we are even supposed to be there. And then you read Jeremiah 31. Now, how many of you parents, if you're old enough, have had a wayward child go astray? Does your heart not yearn for that child? Does, you, do you, does your stomach not get tied up in knots, aching for that child to come home and see the error of his ways? That's exactly what the father's saying here. He says, is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, that's what the father did. He spoke against Israel. I earnestly remember him still. And he said, I don't even want to remember you anymore, but he still does. It's a beautiful love story. It's the same way you would feel with your kids. I have small boys. They haven't, you know, disobeyed me in this manner. But, you know, if they ever do, this is how I would feel. <clears throat> Therefore, my bowels are troubled for him, like a parent's would be. A parent's bowels will be troubled for their child who was disobedient. I will surely have mercy upon him. Every parent, if a wayward child comes home, will give him mercy unconditionally, over and over again. Because that's what we yearn for. Forget, we want them to seek forgiveness. Ephraim comes back with a repentant heart. That's us. We're seeking forgiveness. We've waited, we've woke up, we're amongst the pigs, and we want to come back home. That's where we're at. 
So let's see the previous verses. Now check this out. Jeremiah 31, 18. This was before the verses I just read. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. Thou hast chastised me. Mean, dad punished me. And I was chastised. I was punished as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou, turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Surely after I was turned, I repented, and after that I was instructed. I smote upon my thigh, and I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. It's a kid who messed up, you know, and he sees where he's at, and he wants to come home. This is the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. That's what you're seeing in Jeremiah 31 and 32. That's the prodigal son, and Yeshua is just repeating it. He's giving them a prophecy, and some heard it, some didn't. This is Two House. How many of you have heard? How many have not heard of Two House? One? Oh, a couple. All right. Two House. This is a, this is a big disagreement amongst the Torah community. And this is a debate I will get into because I know I'm right. <laughs> okay. Um, it, because it's so scripturally sound that I don't know how anyone can deny it. And I'm going to prove it to you here today. Let's go over some scripture. 1 Kings 12, verse 21. And when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and with the tribe of Benjamin, a hundred and fourscore thousand chosen men, which were warriors to fight against the house of Israel. Let me ask you a question. How many houses do you see in that verse? One. Come on now. You see two. There's two houses in that verse. Next verse, Jeremiah 3.18. In those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together out of the land. How many houses do you see in that verse? Two. Jeremiah 5.11. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have dealt treacherous, treacherously against me, says the Lord. How many, house, how many houses do you see in that verse? Two. Two houses. Jeremiah 11.10, they are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers, which refused to hear my words, and they went after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant. How many houses do you see in that verse? Two. Jeremiah 31.31, behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. How many houses do you see in that verse? Two. Zechariah 8.13, and it came to pass, it shall come to pass that as ye were a curse among the heathen, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you and ye shall be a blessing. How many houses? Come on. <laughs> Isaiah 8.14. Now this is a good one. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel. It's two houses. After the time of Solomon, it became two houses. And it's always been the father's desire to bring the two brothers back together, to bring those two houses back. Folks, when you understand two house, the scriptures totally awaken. You can make sense of so many other things in scripture once you understand that the father's desire to bring back these two brothers who are divided. These two brothers who are two houses and bring them and make them one in his hand again. That's always been his desire. Get these boys back in the house. Two houses. Normally when someone I hear speaking against those who claim to believe in two houses, I find they usually have ties to Judah. So when I'm out there and I'm debating this topic, as I often do, usually the people who tell me they can't see it, I just don't. I, I, yeah, I know I see there's two houses there. I just don't. I don't see it. No matter how much evidence I show them. I just showed you a few verses out of like lots there's lots more. I just showed you a few. But normally, what I find when someone who doesn't see it is because they have ties somehow in their bloodline to Judah. They're Jewish. Why is that important? They're either Messianic Judaism or they're Judaism. Why? Why is that important? The blessing from Jacob was split. That's why. Judah, the scepter will never depart. The lawgiver shall remain between his feet. Joseph, you get the double portion. It's that simple. They're not meant to see it. The older brother wasn't happy when the younger brother came home. And so, I don't, two house, what is this two house? And there are Jewish synagogues today, Messianic synagogues today. When you come in as a Gentile, you sit over there because you're still a Gentile. 
You know, are your parents Jewish? No? Okay, well, I'm glad you're here to visit today, but you can sit over here. In the Messianic synagogues, they do that sometimes, you know, in, in America. There's, you're just a Gentile. They don't have this idea that Ephraim, the house of Israel, is going to come home. And if they do come home, they'll be Jewish too. They're not, they're not Ephraim. They're just Jews. And Abraham was a Jew, and Moses was a Jew. and yeah. What will the creator exodus look like? So we're going to talk about that. So I think I've proven the, the two house. What's it going to look like? What are, we going to, what are we looking out for? Everyone's asking me, you know, what do I need to pack? Do I need to pack? Is there, you know, get a backpack. Backpacks are good. Judah's going to flee to the wilderness. Verses Luke 21, 20 through 23. Matthew 24, 15 to 18. Mark 13, 14 to 21. Again, this is on my website if you want to download it. We're going to, Judah's going to flee to the wilderness. They're not going to stay in the house. When the time comes of tribulation, they're going to go out too. And I think we're going to meet them. And we're going to reconcile our differences. Okay? Israel will flee to the wilderness. That's us. From where we are, anywhere in the world, all the islands of the sea even, we're going to flee to the wilderness. Isaiah 4, Isaiah 11, Jeremiah 31. Israel is the outcast. Judah is the dispersed. Let me go ahead and read. Where, where's my Bible? Who's got a Bible? Read. Isaiah 11, 12. Who can get there first? Isaiah 11, 12. Raise your hand when you're there. I'll call on somebody. I'm sorry, say again. Uh huh. No, we will leave from the countries we're in to eventually go to Israel. That's what the Exodus, the first Exodus did. That's what the second Exodus will do. Who's got the verse? Go ahead and read it. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Right. Notice the difference between outcast and dispersed. When you do a, a, a word search in the Hebrew on this, um, it, it's, it's best described as, let's just say there's a glass sitting on here, a glass of water, and I knock it off the table, and it falls to the ground, and it crashes, and the glass is dispersed. Okay? It just was, it falls on the ground, psh, dispersed. And then you compare that with the Hebrew word for the word outcast. That's like me picking up that same glass and instead of knocking it off the table, picking up the glass and throwing it against the wall. That's outcast. That's the difference between the two Hebrew words there. Go do your own research on them. One is dispersed, as in dropped and scattered. The other one has been taken and forcefully removed. Makes sense? Understand the difference? That's the difference in that verse. The house of Israel is outcast. Judah was dispersed. Make sense? Okay. The house of Israel will be gathered from the four corners of the earth and the islands of the sea. Verses are Isaiah 11, 11. We'll read that one real quick. That's a good one. This is one of the best ones. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time. The second time. When was the first time? Yeah, the original Exodus. Right. Moses. The second time, I will set my hand again the second time to recover the remnant of my people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. The second time. That's a greater exodus. A second exodus. The first time was Egypt. The second time will be everywhere else and the islands of the sea. I believe 1948 was the father bringing Judah back in the house because he holds the Torah. You know, it's amazing because everyone looks to Israel. I mean, Jerusalem's the most fought after piece of, you know, real estate in the entire planet. Everyone wants it. Well, why? It's because that's the law. The law is there. You know, even when the Jews were outcast and, and are dispersed, um, there are Jews still living in the land over there. You know, everyone, the people... It's a lot of it's spiritual, I believe, because the enemy recognized the importance of that real estate. You know, that's where a lot of big things are going to happen. 
And so it's been fought over, you know, over and over and over again. But I believe 1948 was the father bringing Judah back into the house so that he could bring the law to the world. And today we have, everyone has the Torah. Everyone can get a hold of the Torah and to see what the commandments of the father actually are. And then you can decide to be obedient or not. And that decision is what brings you home or not. Let's keep going. We're going to cross over oceans this time. The first time they crossed over the Red Sea. This time we're going to cross over oceans. As referenced in Isaiah 43, verse 2, verse 16, Isaiah 11, verse 15, and Jeremiah 31, 9. You know, there are people out there today who are studying this, and they are studying ocean maps, the topography on ocean maps, to, to guess where the path is going to be. Because if you've done any research on the Gulf of Aqaba in the Red Sea, you know that there's this amazing giant flat spot in one, in one location where you can cross over if the water was gone. You've seen those videos where they found the, the, the chariot parts and all this stuff? It's amazing because the rest of the Gulf of Aqaba is not passable. It's just all kinds of cavernous valleys and all. You wouldn't be able to pass it. But if you take the water out, there's one spot. One spot where you can cross in the Gulf of Aqaba. So people are actually, when you take these verses and some others into account, where, where, where could it be? Can we find any spots? And they're locating some. They're finding it and they're mapping it out. Possible routes that Israel can travel from all of the places where we're scattered. Isn't that amazing? I mean, they're finding these things. <laughs> I think that, to me, it just blows me away. Okay, just like the first Exodus, I believe we're going to see pillars of fire and smoke, as referenced in Joel 2.30. We'll talk more about that um, tomorrow. And then Isaiah 4, verse 5. Pillars of fire. Let's read that real quick. Pillars of fire. Isaiah 4, again, is another one of these chapters that talks about the hope. And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies. And I see that's multiple groups, the way you interpret that with the Hebrew. These assemblies, all these places around the earth where her people are coming. A cloud and smoke by day and a shining of flaming fire by night. Where have you heard that before? In the Exodus. Well, Isaiah is not talking about that. He's talking about a future time that hasn't happened yet. Cloud by day, fire by night. If you see a pillar of fire come up somewhere, go to it. <laughs> you don't want to miss the boat. <clears throat> Let's see. Okay. Most people attempt to explain the book of Revelation without first understanding two house. Okay, I, I grew up in a Christian church, and you had all kinds of classes and teachings on the book of Revelation. But it's like they all argued with one another. They were all different. They all had their own opinions, and none of them matched. Well, that's because they didn't take into account two houses. The father's desire to break two brothers one again, to make two nations one again, into a full, bringing the stick together in, in one in the hand. They didn't understand that perspective. The Israel was outcast and Judah was dispersed. You must understand the first Exodus before you look for the second. That's simple. Is it any wonder why the bowls of wrath poured out in Revelation are very similar to the plagues of Egypt in the book of the Exodus? People have made that connection before, even back in the Christian church. Like, yeah, this is kind of funny. Yeah, it is kind of funny. Maybe, there's gonna, maybe it's going to happen a second time. You see what I have done, done unto the Egyptians. I'm sorry, let me start over. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. This is Exodus 19.4, when he brings them out of Egypt. Well, lo and behold, you see that in Revelation 12.14. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she may fly into the wilderness, into her place where she be nourished for a time, times, and a half time from the face of the serpent. That kind of sounds like Daniel too. The verse we read in Daniel. You know, when he accomplishes to scatter the holy people. God brings his people into the wilderness. This is the conclusion. God brings his people into the wilderness, both from the house of Judah and the house of Israel. It's going to be, I think, my opinion, pillars of fire all over the planet. I believe 144,000 pillars of fire. I'm, I'm, again, I reserve the right to be wrong. But I believe 144,000 pillars of fire. Before all of Israel, the remnant is in one country, in one nation, all together, consolidated. You only needed one. But this time, we're everywhere. It says all over the planet, including the islands of the sea. So how are you going to have one pillar of fire? Unless we all have to go to it, which, I mean... You gotta get plane tickets and you know go. Where is it at again? You know, it's it's it, no, it's gonna be everywhere. 
you're going to have these things separated everywhere. Now, if you, in fact, people have done the math. If you take 144,000 and you divide that and do the math based on land mass, habitable land mass across the entire planet, you would basically have one pillar of fire for every 300 square miles. If you just do habitable land mass on the Earth, that's not that bad. I mean, who, I mean, how many people traveled probably 300 miles to get here? Probably a lot of you. I mean, 10 hours away. You were 10 hours away from Kimberly, right? That's probably pretty close. I can get to Chicago from St. Louis to Chicago is 300 miles, and I can get there in less than 10 hours. So that's not that bad. You know, if you're heading there for your, you know, salvation and the, and the, and the road out of here, <laughs> you know. Both houses travel through the wilderness. Both houses travel through the wilderness. See, I think what's going to happen is he's going to bring all of his people out, Judah and Israel, and we're going to make up. And so let's go to Isaiah 11 again. Verse 13. Isaiah eleven thirteen, It says, The envy also of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. We're going to make up. We're going to be brothers again. I think that happens in the wilderness. You know? Judgment is happening to the world during this time. Multiple attempts are made at attacking the bride, I believe, and they are rebuffed. So you have... I mean... I, what government is going to let a lot of a bunch of people go out into the wilderness with a pillar of a magical pillar of fire and not going to want to set, investigate that? Of course, they're, or stop it. You know, most countries, some countries in this world today, you're not even allowed to leave. You know, we got visas and all kinds of things that pe prevent people from moving back and forth without government approval. And you guys are just going to start crossing borders? Oh no, 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 no. The go the government's going to have something to say about that. They're not going to be happy. And so they're going to come against you. Well, what happened to Pharaoh when he came against the Israelites to try to stop them from moving? Yeah, it didn't work out well. Yeah. Huh? He was just... Yeah, he just wanted to see the visas. Yeah, he's, poor Pharaoh. He just wanted the visas. <laughs> but I know in my country, they're not going to... I mean, you start crossing borders, you have border patrol and all kinds of things. I mean, I just don't see how this is going to end well. For them, not for us. We're going to be under the most highest protection again. Yeah, yeah, it's even worse. They got Trump's new border wall down there. I don't think we'll ever get past that. <laughs> During the Exodus, many multitudes come together and cross over oceans. So how he's seeing this is you have multiple pillars of fire, multiple groups, and they start to consolidate as they move across the earth. Two join, become one. You know, these two join to become another one. You know, so you have four now, and you have one pillar of fire now for that group. Okay, and we start to move across the face of the planet, you know, the round planet. And, you know, so... <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and we start to grow as a people because we're getting bigger and bigger and bigger as the groups become to consolidate. And eventually, we go to wherever those pillars of fire lead us, and we do it by faith. Where are we going? We're going north. I don't know where we're going. We're going south. I don't know where we're going. But we're going where he leads us. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't, we, wouldn't you like to know? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. What, what about the lame, sick, and the elderly the first time? They did. They, they came out on leaders, and their shoes did not wear out. Their clothes did not wear out. Um, they were okay. Yeah, you know, and I thought about that. Maybe for a time we do have vehicles and 4 by 4s I, I don't know. Who knows? I have no idea how it's going to look this time. But if, if it does happen that way, I could absolutely, I mean, I believe in the miracle of Hanukkah. I believe that a God so amazing who could separate the Red Sea could keep oil burning for eight days. I mean, that's not a tall order. So if a, if a God can make the oil burn for eight days and separate the Red Sea so his people can pass through, how hard is it to keep my gas tank full? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not worried about it. But, you know, I tell people, hey, get a backpack. You know, get a backpack and, and um, you know, get some good, a good pair of walking shoes. <laughs> 
You know, even if you can't walk, he'll give you the strength he did the first time. So this brings us to, I think, well, we were cross oceans. I think we probably meet at the Mount of Olives at some point. I believe before we meet at the Mount of Olives, we're going to go through Yom Kippur. And that's going to be a judgment. Okay? We're going to see the, the earth judged. And the dead in Christ, the dead in Messiah, are going to rise in the sky. And we're going to meet them. Those who are in the wilderness are going to meet them in the air. Some of them who choose to be left behind, they're the other churches mentioned in the book of Revelation. They're going to go through some extreme tribulation. And some of them are going to be martyrs and they're going to die. You know, so you got to get while the getting's good. If you don't, that's on you. But those people also are martyrs and they're saved. You know, they didn't take the mark. They refused to participate in the, in the beast system. And the dead in Christ will rise. And um, the dead who are not in Christ are also going to rise, but they're going to stay on the earth while the other ones meet him in the air as he's coming to this earth. And the 10 days of awe, during starting at the days of trumpets, you have 10 days on around earth theory where you see, no, I'm serious, on around, because everyone's asking, well, how does the whole earth see him coming if it's round? It's easy. It's the 10 days of all. It's the 10 days of us going, well, because that's what the 10 days of all in Jewish tradition is. You can't believe what you're seeing. Because for no matter where you are on the earth, for about 12 hours a day, each day for 10 days, you're going to be like, what is this thing coming? It's going to be on the news. It's going to be on everywhere. Everyone's going to be talking about it. And whether it's nighttime during, during, on your piece of the earth or it's daytime when that thing's coming, you're going to be able to see it. And it's going to scare everyone to death. Well, when it gets here, it's Yom Kippur. The dead in Christ will rise. The dead who are not Messiah will rise. And they're going to stay on the, on, the, on the ground. And you're going to meet them. And the dead who are in Messiah are going to meet him in the air when he comes. And also us who are in the wilderness are going to meet him in the air. And we're going to look down on Yom Kippur. And we're going to see the death of everyone else. We're going to see the death by fire, the judgment by fire. And then when that's done, it talks about wiping the tears from our eyes. We're going to land on the Mount of Olives with him. And it's going to start over. Now, let me keep going. Some people during this exodus are weeded out. Okay? It, it was obvious some of the people who left Egypt the first time just were going, you know, while the getting was good. They saw their opportunity to get out and they took it. Because Egypt was a major military power at the time. And so when they left, they had a lot of conquered people. The Hebrews were a conquered people. And they were under the thumb of the Egyptians. They had conquered lots of people. And so when they came out, Moses was like, what do I do with all these people? And he says, hey, if they get circumcised, they keep the Passover, you shall be counted them as a native born. They are one of you. If they don't, they're just a goy, goyim, Gentiles. You know, but if they're going to be part of my people, they have to keep, you have to keep the rules of the house. Okay? But so just like the first Exodus, when all these other people who were conquered by Egypt, and they just saw the people who conquered them get their butts handed to them by this Hebrew God, this strange Hebrew God, they left, wouldn't you? If you were under the oppressive thumb of, of a tyrannical government who was making you work all the time and not paying you anything for it, you'd leave. Same thing. I think when these pillars of fire come up, people are going to move to it. They're going to go. And you're going to be calling your parents up and all the people, relatives that you have who, who don't believe you in this Torah thing. And you're going to be like, now, right now, we have to go now. And you're going to beg them and some of them are going to go with you. But they're not going to be on board. Some of them. Some of them, when they get to the camp of the righteous, they're going to see the amazing miracle of a pillar of fire, cloud by day and fire by night, and they're going to believe. And, and, and they're going to be on board real quick. But some of the others, just like the first Exodus, aren't going to play. You know? And they're going to be rebellious. And they're going to be disobedient. And just like the first Exodus, he's going to weed those people out. Let's take a look at some verses. Isaiah 56, verse 7. Even them will I bring to my holy mountain... And make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. The Lord thy God, which gathers the outcasts of Israel, says, Yet I will gather others to him besides those that are gathered unto him. Who are the others? Well, Ezekiel goes into a little more detail. And I will bring you out from the people, and I will gather you out of the countries wherein you were scattered with a mighty hand, and I was stretched and a stretched out arm, and with fury poured out, and I will bring you into the wilderness of the people, and there I will plead with you face to face, just like the first time. And I will purge out from among you the rebels and them that transgress 
against me. And I will bring them forth out of the country where they sojourn, and they shall not enter into the land of Israel, and, so, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. He's going to be doing some purging. He's going to be doing some purging. And so when I tell my friends and family, if, if I find myself in this situation, I'm like, you know what? You better play by the rules. You know, that hidden pack of bacon bits in your pack pack? Get, get, get rid of it. Because if they find you, well, what, I mean, what do we see about the disobedience in other parts of Joshua? You know, they, they, they were told, take nothing from these people. No, no spoils. And what did that one guy do? He took spoils. And God's like, you're not going to win anymore until you get rid of these, these things. And so they killed him and his family. Don't let that be you. And so if you're in the camp of the righteous and you bring on family, family and friends and they're you know, packing bacon bits, you know, either you deal with it or he deals with it. And I don't want him dealing with it because he's a lot harsher than, than I am. We've seen that in Scripture. But this is what I see, the purging of the rebels, those who are rebellious. Okay, it's about this time I take questions and comments um, about this first part, because we have a lot to cover still, okay, in the next two sessions um, starting tomorrow. So we'll hold the questions and comments, unless you get me before you leave today. And, but we'll just we'll do the question and answer tomorrow. Is that okay, Tian? We'll just do the question. Okay, we'll do the question and answer tomorrow. But tomorrow we're going to start the Greater Exodus Part 2, 144,000. Who are the 144,000? I'm going to show you lots of scripture of who I believe that is. I think you're really going to enjoy it. And then we'll talk about the Jewel 2 Army tomorrow also. Each one's about an hour length. And then if we have time, and if I have a next session after that, I don't know. All right, we'll see. We'll see. If I have time, we'll talk about the seven signs of the last days. Okay. Thanks, Thanks guys.